Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with another album review for you guys. This one uh, is another one that's very, very special to me. An early influence album, Abacab by Genesis. It was a while before the whole album was because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So we had to save up and every, you know, couple weeks or a month we would buy a record or we would go down to the Salvation Army and see what kind of records we could find there. Because sometimes they were like, you know, a quarter or a dollar um, great bargains all the time. And, but it was hit or miss. So we had a list of albums that we wanted to get. And this was one of the ones that was on there. And of course, we finally did get it. Now, as I was researching back, I found all kinds of cover color combinations. So I don't know which one was the actual original one. I think it was the red and yellow and blue, but I, I honestly can't be sure now, um, unless this is one of those uh, Mandela effect things, which it very well could be. Um, but this was, uh, the song Abacab was one of the first videos I really remember paying attention to the song and just really kind of listening to what was going on with it and and trying to figure it out. It was a fun song for sure. And, uh, it had a really unique sound to it. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was definitely something that caught my attention right off the bat. And then of course, I think the second video that came out was for no reply at all, and then eventually, uh, Man on the Corner, I think, was the third one. Um, but I think by the time that came out, I think I actually had the album. But in either case, you know, for a three-piece band, there is so much going on in these songs. Very intelligent writing. Great performances, for sure. You can't go wrong with Phil Collins as a vocalist. Um, some really good stuff. So let's just, uh, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the song Abacab, what I found in research. I'd heard this over the years, but I'd also heard that the letters A, B, A, C, A, B were the chord progression. So the the other story that I heard was that the, it is actually the section progression of the song. So if A is the verse and B is the bridge and C is the chorus, you would have A verse, B bridge, C chorus, A, well, or uh, I'm sorry, A verse, B bridge, A verse, C chorus, A verse, B bridge, A, B, A, C, A, B. Uh, So I've never actually tested that out. That doesn't sound right to me. I think there's an extra chorus in there. So I'm not really sure if that's right or not. But in any case, who cares? It's a great song. And all that matters is that we enjoy the music, right? The story behind it, you know, interesting. But these days, you know, you read anything on the internet and you have no idea who's actually telling the truth, who knows what they're talking about or who is just very convincing. So let's just dig into the sounds of the song, because after all, that is the most important thing that the bands give us to enjoy. Here is a little bit of Abacab by Genesis.
there's a really lovely almost question and response type style to this song. You know, the the guitar starts off the first part of it and then the organ answers back. Uh, drums are just keeping a nice beat. And then Phil starts telling the story of what's going on, uh, which to this day, I still don't know what that is. But it's it's a really just just very playful song in a way. There's a lot of nice little trade-offs between uh, the keyboards and the guitar and uh, some really nice fills. Phil Collins on this uh, album, he has a lot of toms and I love a lot of melody in the drums. So this is a really good album for me as a drummer as well. But it's just a really nice trade-off back and forth. There's some uh, really intense parts in the song, not from a technical aspect, but just like all of a sudden it ramps up and you feel like there's a sense of urgency um, then the version that I knew, like from MTV and the radio was pretty short, you know, after the, the last couple of choruses and it started fading out, the album version actually goes on much longer into this just instrumental part with a lot of synthesizers and stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, but I have to be in the mood for it. You know, most of the time I'm, I'm perfectly happy just to hear the regular straightforward song and then just move on to the next one. But it's, it's a good song. I love it. I think it's so amazing that three people put together a song that sounds this big and, uh, just has so much going on in it. It's, it's really spectacular. And a lot of that is on Tony Banks because, you know, Mike Rutherford can only play one guitar at a time, whereas a keyboardist can have multi things that they're doing. They can move from one keyboard to another to add a quick effect. And so it's typical for the keyboard to have a little bit more responsibility as far as that overall scope of, of sounds and colors. But it's a great song. It remains to this day one that I just absolutely love, uh, as well as our second song, No Reply At All, which is one that, boy, this, and if this doesn't cover my life, I don't know what song does. Here it is. As much as I love this song, and I I do, I absolutely love this song. I've listened to it so many times, but this has got to be one of the weirdest songs I've ever heard. The keyboards that are playing in the verse and underneath the brass in the beginning, and it's a nice addition to the brass, by the way. Um, it it just it's it's such a weird thing. It's just da 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 da. There's nothing to it, yet it really works even though it's almost not even melodic. It's almost more rhythmic than melodic. It's just such a weird thing. And yet it really makes the song interesting. You know, it's not just a standard, well, I'm going to play a melody or I'll play some chords underneath of that and just make the song sound big. The song is actually very sparse. It's just one thing comes in and plays, drops out. Another thing comes in and drops out. And then you have that organ underneath of it all. It's it's really bizarre. The song, in a way, it sounds thin and in a way it sounds like it's actually full because there's so many different sounds coming at you. It's very weird, but it is a, a really good song. And, you know, I it, it's one that from a lyrical standpoint, I certainly have 
Man, I, I think I identify with it more even so than I did back in 1981 when this album came out. And by the way, there is a remastered version that came out in 2007. I am working off the original version that came out in 81. So uh, it, it's really a, a, such an amazing journey, this song. But, you know, it's it's all about, hey, I'm talking to you. And it's like in the old days, it would have been hard to get away with that. Like you could call somebody and leave a message on their answering machine with a little cassette tape or whatever. And yeah, they might not call back or they might call and the line's busy because you only had one line back then. Uh, if you were really fancy, you had two. But nowadays, it's like you can text somebody and they don't even necessarily text you back for days, if at all. Or you can e email somebody, you can see that they read it. And they still don't respond. And you're just like, um, but I asked you a question. I'm waiting for your response. And, you know, they might never respond. And you know that they read it, which is so frustrating. So I think that really kind of sums up my perception of what the song is about. Just that I'm reaching out to you. Is, is there some kind of miscommunication? What's going on? Why are you not responding to me? Um, I think this is probably from a um, commentary on society probably one of the most accurate and long-held ideas or examples of how it works. Because I think we've just gotten so much worse about it, which is really weird considering that we have so many more ways to communicate with each other uh, instantly. You know, uh, just before the podcast, I had somebody that I had texted, um, they, they reached back out to me and I responded back right away and they were back right away. And it was like, yeah, okay, this is how a conversation goes. But then people like disappear in the middle of the conversation, like they just got whisked into a rickety van with the promise of a shiny new bike and they just stop responding. And I I don't get it. But th this song, I think, is one that holds up to today's society even more so than it would have back in 1981. So there's that. But musically, it's just such a weird song. But I love it. I absolutely love it. It's very adventurous. It's kind of fun and playful. And uh, I love the addition of the brass in there. Just a, a really solid song, I have to say. But I mean, look at who your writers are. Tony Banks, Phil Collins, Mike Rutherford. I mean, that's just a winning team right there as they've proven album after album and hit after hit. So that brings us to our next song, which is called Me and Sarah Jane. Now, I don't know what the story is in this song. I've never really been able to follow it, but it it does make me wonder if it's a drug song. I mean, me and Sarah Jane talking about things that are freaking out in the room, like lights moving around, which you wouldn't see in the room. So it kind of makes me wonder about that. I've also wondered many times if this is some kind of concept album that I've not understood. Again, I've never seen anything that says it is, but there's something that that makes me feel like it could be. And Genesis is certainly known for doing concept albums back in the days of Peter Gabriel. So I don't know. Uh, either way, I love the album and just taking the songs one on one and uh, and listening to each one and enjoying them just as they stand by themselves is is just joy enough for me. 
but this song is fun. It's got a nice little section where there's uh, some three, four over four, four, which is something I always like. Um, the only thing I don't like about this song and, and, I'm guessing it was intentional, though I don't know why. But there's some parts where the vocals are just way out there in the background and you can barely hear what's going on. And they're saying something that you're really kind of missing out on, which I always feel a little bit incomplete when I have that happen. Um, But overall, it's a good song. It's a weird little journey. I mean, I love the way it starts out just with the gentleness and the percussion. Um, In fact, I thought I had grabbed the wrong file. I thought it was Man on the Corner which we'll talk about when we get to that in a few songs. But overall, it's it's just a, a nice, fun, quirky little journey. I think quirky is really the best way I can sum up this song. Um, it's definitely worth a listen. It's one that I, I do enjoy. Um, I don't think, I mean, maybe once in a while, I, I've skipped it just trying to get to another song that I specifically wanted to hear. But apart from that, no, it's it's a good song. It's well worth enjoying and just taking that ride. Whether it's about drugs or something else, I have no idea, but it's a song on the whole that's just very enjoyable to my ears. And that moves us to Keep It Dark, where the only thing that matters is your ears. Yeah, this is one of those songs where it just makes me love the overall sound of the album. I mean, there's like a slight chorus or something on the on the drums. There's just something different about them, maybe especially the snare. Um, but the overall production of this album, I just love the sound. And I think that's one of the reasons I didn't want to listen to the remaster yet. Because honestly, I think the album sounds perfect the way it is. And I really don't want anything changed on it sonically at all. Uh, but But... Aside from that, I mean, this is another just a really quirky song. I love the riff. I love how everything feels like it comes in off time and then just kind of resolves itself. Um, There's some really weird keyboard parts coming up later on in the song that they feel like they're coming in off time, but they're not. And then uh, some nice little percussion that's added in, which is another thing that they're really well known for. And just just some great, great writing and performance here. But again, it's just another song that it doesn't have a lot of changes to it. It just has like it adds something here, it takes away something there, but there's not a lot of different parts to the song. It pretty much keeps along this path for the most part. But it's fun. It's another fun journey to take. And there's bands that, you know, they could do things that are minimal change, very straightforward, but quirky, and keep your attention for a long period of time. And I think this band, although they're very good at changes and throwing lots of different things in a song, when they want to do something like this, they can pull it off so well. And with most bands, I'd be like two minutes in, I'd be like, Uh, right, they're still doing that. Maybe skip forward a little bit or just skip the rest of the song because it's not interesting to me anymore. But they they have some magical way of keeping my attention and I love it. So uh, another great song. And now here's one of, uh, I I could say one of my favorite songs, but almost all of them are my favorite songs on this album. Um, This one in particular is one I probably listen to the most. And it's a 
combination song, so I'm going to break it into two parts. The first part is called Dodo. I mean, how do you not just want to hear the rest of the song? It starts off so well. It's very intriguing. You feel this is going to be kind of an epic adventure. And it, you know, obviously he starts off talking about the Dodo Bird. Um, a very interesting song. And it just, it, musically, there's so much going on. It sounds so much bigger than a three-piece band. It really does. And it, it's just, uh, a musically, it's another adventure, but there's something about the sound of this, the layers of it that just really grip me, the particular synths that Tony Banks is using. Are, they're just brilliantly chosen sounds. Um, the second half of this, Lurker, is actually a riddle, which I didn't know for the longest time. In fact, it was maybe 10 years or so ago that I found that out. And uh, I'd been listening to the song all this time without any idea that there was actually a puzzle to be solved, which is sucky because I love puzzles. Um, they're, they're somewhat abstract clues. Once you know the answer, I think it makes a lot more sense. But it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And the song, you know, obviously takes a twist and, and becomes a different song as it goes into Lurker. So let's check a little bit of that out. Some great performances by everybody in there and during that transition. I'm not exactly sure where the songs change, but it's somewhere in there, whether it's uh, when the lyrics come in or whether it's when that synth comes in, but somewhere in there is the transition into Lurker. Um, I love the drumming in that section, those fills. That's what I'm talking about when I say I love melodic drums. You know, a range of pitches in the toms, um, you know, a range in the cymbals as well, just giving you a lot of palette colors to play with and, and make the song interesting. 
And um, yeah, it, it's really cool. So after this section is where it starts to get into the riddle and uh, Phil tells you the riddle through the lyrics and then you have to figure it out or you don't have to figure it out. The choice is yours. Uh, it's fun though. I think so. Um, but like I said, like if you don't get it and you end up looking it up, once you look it up, you'll be like, oh God, I should have figured that out. So I, I would encourage you to enjoy the puzzle if you so choose. Um, otherwise, just Google the answer. Uh, we couldn't do that in 81. Had I known it was a riddle in 81, uh, of course, I was really big into those text adventure games anyway. When I had Scott Adams on the show, we talked about that. That was a great two-part episode. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's fun stuff. So uh, that's Dodo and Lurker, a great combo song for sure. Uh, one that, like I said, I, I've listened to over and over and over. I just love the sounds in the song, the way that they Mesh together. It's it's an epic adventure, that song. And that brings us to Who Done It. And we do want to know who done it. Was it you or was it me? Or was it he or she? Was it I or was it me? Or was it X or Z? Was it you or was it me? I really love that opening sound on the keyboards. Uh, it, it just fits so well. You know, in the song title, we've basically got a mystery. We're saying, you know, whodunit, we're trying to find out. And so that sound, just that oscillating sound from the keyboard, really kind of has that mysterious feel to it, which I think suits the song just beautifully. This is another one that's just a really quirky, fun song. A lot of repetition in it, but it's a fun song anyway. And um this the drum sound is just fantastic on it. That chorus that's on the kit just really sounds good here. And uh, I don't know, it, it's it's just another quirky song on the album. But what's interesting to me on this one is this is one of those rare songs where we hear a British singer, we actually hear their British accent really coming out prominently in the song, which we normally don't from Phil Collins. If you think about, you know, all the hits that he's done, whether they were his solo work or with Genesis, you really don't hear a British accent in the vocals. But here in this song, it really, really comes out, which, um, you know, I don't know why specifically, but that's just the way it went. But I like it. I think it's cool. I think it adds some character to the song and it makes it, again, interesting because it's something that we're not used to hearing. Um, great keyboard sounds, uh, of course, and, um, you know, wonderful beat to back the song up, but it's pretty simple and straightforward, maybe to the point of being just a little bit repetitive, but there's some cool parts in here, uh, to be sure. But mostly I, I love the overall sound and the, the emotion of the song. It's, it's just fantastic. Like with this whole album. Um, and that will bring us to the other single on the song. I remember the video for this too was, uh, I think it was just live footage, if I remember right, there might've been something interlaced with it, but I remember there being live footage in the video and, or maybe it was a live version. It could have been, um, this is called man on the corner.
a way, this reminds me of a song that Phil Collins would come to release as a solo project later on called Another Day in Paradise. Just that idea of somebody being out on the street, lonely, alone, and just, you know, waiting for something to happen or life to get better. It's a completely different scenario because I don't think this man is necessarily homeless. Like the song Another Day in Paradise was specifically targeted to be, you know, aware, uh, like awareness for homeless people and that sort of thing. But in this case, it just has that same, you know, sad feel to it. Somebody being out in the cold by themselves. The keyboard sound is actually quite warm. I find the the tone of the song musically is. But what's interesting on this one to me is that the song really does sound very thin. You know, you're you're coming off of uh, Who Done It, which was a bigger sounding song. Dodo Lurker, a huge sounding song. Man on the Corner does not have a lot of layers to it. There's not a lot going on musically. Uh, except for one little section in the middle. But apart from that, it's a very simple song, but it sounds thin because there's not a lot of layers and we're just coming off this, you know, this huge row of layered songs. So it does sound a bit thin to me, but it's a very beautiful song. Um, I could see why this was released as a single. It does have uh, some good commercial appeal to it. And it does get a very, uh, very emotional vocal from Phil Collins a bit later on. Um, Very, very powerful stuff. And when I heard it performed live, um, and I'm pretty sure that video was live now that I think about it. I I, I don't know if the song was or not. I want to say the song version was too. But in any case, uh, Phil gets very, very emotional and very powerful in this song. I think it's a great vocal performance from him. I won't say it's one of his best because he's had so many that it's hard to really say which is the best. But uh, in any case, it, it's very powerful and very moving. And um, yeah, it's it's a great song and definitely deserved to be released as a single and get some attention. And um, that brings us to our next song, simply called Like It or Not. Oh, but before I bring us to that, uh, I, I did say when I talked about me and Sarah Jane that I would talk about this when we got to Man on the Corner. It starts out with that similar percussion, very gentle, uh, just light percussion, a similar sound to it. Obviously, it's a different pattern, but it has that same feeling. And so I haven't heard Man on the Corner in a while. And when I put on me and Sarah Jane, I thought, is this Man on the Corner? And I was worried I grabbed the wrong file. I'm like, it's way down the list. How is that possible? Well, because I didn't. It's It's a different song. But it has a similar opening to it, which is why I made that connection. So anyway, uh, like it or not, here's like it or not. For me, this one's kind of blah. Um, it just seems to go on and on, and it even fades while the vocals are are still singing. And um, it, it just feels like, you know, he just keeps singing and keeps singing. And finally, they're like, all right, we're going to fade it out. Like, there's really nothing um, to me anyway that's interesting in this song. Uh, it, it's just kind of a filler track. And, you know, for a band like Genesis, it's it's kind of weird. But I don't know the circumstances. Maybe they were running out of time and they're like, we have to write something. Maybe this is a song that they did feel really passionate about. I don't know. 
but it just doesn't connect with me. And, and that's okay. You know, there are nine songs on this album, eight of which I really like. So, you know, I, I can't complain about that. That's a really good percentage. So um, that's enough about that one. That brings us to our last track called Another Record. This is a fun song. It's a it's a cool little piano part. Um, it does get a little bit repetitive though. That between that and the drum fills, um, but it's a it's a fun song. It's one I would listen to from time to time. Maybe not every time I listen to the album, but um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a good song. I wish there was more to it though. I wish that there were maybe a couple of more parts thrown in to just change things around. I mean, when you listen to Dodo Lurker, you know these guys are certainly capable capable of it and were capable of it at this time. So uh, I think I think it had a lot more potential than what the song is actually showing myself. But, you know, the writers put out the song that they want to put out. And I can only say I like it or I don't. I would say I like it. I wish it was bigger. That's about it. Um, but yeah, it's a good album overall. I love the sound of it. That's that's one of the main things is the sound is such a character on this album. And I think that that's a very important component. And one of these days I'll check out the remaster and and see if I like it or not. But like why there's some albums that I just don't want to mess with, you know, and this would be one of them. I think that this is a great album as it is. And I don't see any reason to, you know, I mean, if they needed to remaster it for current radio play and all that stuff, I totally get it. But, um, you know, that's why I buy the albums instead of uh, stream them because I want to hear the version that I like and I'll check out new versions. And sometimes I'll like those better and sometimes I won't. But this one's kind of a sacred album for me. So I think I'm less inclined to enjoy it right off the bat before I even give it a chance, which is totally unfair. But, you know, there are those albums that have that special meaning to us that, uh, you know, we, we kind of feel that we need to guard. And this is one of them for me. So, yeah, I'll check it out at some point, but I'm not particularly excited to uh, to do so anytime soon. So that is Abacab by Genesis, you guys. I hope that you found some things in there you liked. Maybe you want to check out the album for yourself. Nine songs, well worth listening to, I would say. Uh, you know, even even the ones that I was like, yeah, you know, which I think was just what, like it or not, um, it's still worth listening to. It's just for me, it doesn't connect a whole lot compared to the other songs, but you know, you might connect with it and that's that's going to matter most for you. So check it out, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Haskellcast podcast. We'll be back next week with another show. And I'm doing some bonus episodes on Saturday. Like I'm getting, uh, when I'm doing the interviews, 
I'm trying to put those on Saturday and the album reviews during the week, um, trying to make it a little bit more consistent because I don't always get the interviews or have time to do the interviews. So that way, interviews are on Saturday. The regular show just keeps going on Wednesday. And that seems to make a little bit more sense to me. So uh, well, that's the current plan for the foreseeable future. But we got a long ways to go yet, guys. So we'll, we'll just see what happens as time marches on. But for now, thanks again for joining me. I hope you guys have a great week. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>